The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott, and I'm here with Brad Robson. Brad, how's it going? It's going well, how are you? Going well, and uh, we're here once again. Greg's in the background. (laughs) We're at uh, Laguna Beach Christian Retreat Center, um, and we're talking about books, essential books for youth ministry. Um, Brad, do you have any ideas, thoughts on essential book for youth ministry? Yeah, so I have a a few too as well. Um, So one of the staples that I use is called The Price of Privilege by Hmm. Madeline Levine, and she's not a Christian. At least I don't know if she's a Christian or not, Um, but she wrote a book that's just very helpful understanding youth culture and the struggles that students are going through. Um, And that's been particularly helpful in our context, just understanding students who have a lot and who've been given a lot. They're oftentimes the ones who struggle the most and struggle in different ways. And so that book is really good. She also wrote a book called Teach Your Children Well mm-hmm. that goes through the different phases of adolescence and just kind of development. And so that's been helpful for us as we think mm-hmm. about how to minister to students at particular stages of development. Mm-hmm. So I love those two books. Okay. Um, books about ministry, uh, The Imperfect Pastor by Zach mm-hmm. Eswine. Um, yeah. I read through that book about every year. And I think <laughs> he wrote a book before that called Sensing Jesus. That's right, yeah. That, takes a little bit longer um, and it's a little yeah. bit more um, search your heart um, <laughs> but I love both of those books um, the imperfect yeah. pastor is a little bit more accessible so yeah yeah I can remember um, Pear Orchard gave me a sabbatical years ago and I'd already read Sensing Jesus and then I heard about the imperfect pastor I was like oh I'll get this for the sabbatical and it, it's basically the same book right but it's kind of remodeled a little bit revised I don't know condensed. Exactly. Yeah, yeah condensed okay yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, those that, that's that's helpful. That's one. Yeah, Zach Aswan. He's gotten brought up a few times on this this podcast. Um, and I know you, we were mentioning pre-recording instruments in the Redeemer's hands is one that you. That's right. Yeah. Has, so we we had given that book for a long time to our interns for for the summer, uh, and then we realized that our interns don't read in the summer, and so <laughs> we've stopped doing it. But that book is just very helpful in understanding um, how to do ministry and why we do ministry. Yeah. And, um, it's always great for people who are starting out in ministry to think about mm-hmm. how can I do this well? And, um, yeah. so that's a good resource as well. Yeah, that's really good. And to me, yeah, when I think essential book of, of youth ministry, but then ministry in general, I mean, that book is a must own, um, that, I mean, should be on everyone's bookshelf. I mean, as you're learning to, you know, counsel students, just enter into people's lives. I mean, that book was extremely foundational for me, very helpful. And, you know, anything Paul David Tripp writes is, uh, going to be pretty good. Um, so Brad, thank you for that. All right. We are back with Dan Doriani and Greg Meyer uh, talking about work. We'll be concluding our time with Dan uh, this week. Um, Dan, I did want to say, I know we've referenced uh, the the books and the the writing that you've done on, on work, but why don't you tell us just, um, a little bit about the, the, the books that you've written on work. Yeah, sure. I wrote two books, uh, just three years apart. The one is a little bit on the more technical side. And believe it or not, I can't remember. I can never remember the subtitle because I didn't make it up myself. But it's something like, there it is, work. What does it say? Work, it's meaning, it's purpose, meaning, and transformation. Something like that. It's orange. 
It's about 250 pages. And I wrote a very short one called uh, Work That Makes a Difference that's for use in Bible studies in churches. It's, you know, like eight chapters or 10 pages each. So you, so nobody can say, oh, it's too long. I can't read it. <laughs> you know, you can read it. Trust me. Too, too much work, right? That's <laughs> too much work, right? So those are the two things I've written um, that are published as books about on the topic of work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for your, your, I was going to say work and all that. I'm not trying to um, right. play on words there, but right. um, just the bad jokes. I, no, I did not even, it's just natural now. Right. right. Um, yep. So I did want to ask you just kind of some, some distinction between, okay. I'm thinking of people who, you know, they have an occupation, they have a vocation, mm -hmm. they're at the office and they're working hard mm -hmm. and they're thinking, okay, well now I need to go home and get some rest or whatever, but they're actually just putting on another, hat mm -hmm. of responsibility right. you know they're a right. father they're a mother they're you know um spouse wh wh whatever i'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about that and distinctions yeah you know people have uh observed many times that it's helpful to have either a little bit of a commute or to, if you live real close to your work to just walk some people even do things like work in their basement and then they get up and walk around the house and change clothes hmm. when they're done working to just to signify to spouse or children okay it's different now i'm i'm no longer working at my job which doesn't mean you're not working so if you have young children certainly you're, it's always work to take care of young children of course it's pleasant work but it's work um and you just need to remember that you're still you still have a task in your home which is making meals washing dishes paying bills that's work you're not being paid um, but try to break it up and try to make sure it's not just toil, toil, toil. At, so, you know, in our family would just often share what's the most interesting or important thing that happened to you today and just riff on that. And that's, that's not work. You know, we're not just eating, gobbling our food down and running on to the task that awaits us. And, you know, story time and make it interesting or else you may be, uh, the, the floor may be taken away from you. Hold the floor, tell a good story and, you know, play games and so forth. And then, and then you can do the dishes and pay the bills. Yeah, that, that's helpful. Greg, I'd love for you to, to jump in as well. Sure. Yeah. And I'm thinking on kind of two levels with this next question, thinking about uh, youth workers, uh, which unfortunately oftentimes can be, you know, transient type of work. Um, but also thinking of the teenagers that these youth workers are speaking to um, who are trying to make all kinds of decisions and feeling increasing pressure younger and younger ages about, you know, what, what do I want to do? What do I want to study? What do I want to major in? And feel like you've got to set that track younger age. But the question is, um, how do you make the sense of the difference between this is a job that I'm called by God at work right now, um, and this is a calling or this is, you know, my greater vocation in life. Um, what's the difference between those and how, how can we think about th those type of things? Right. So at one level, think back to everybody being a farmer, 80% plus being farmers 200, even 200 years ago. Uh, to some extent, you have to work so you can have food, clothing, and shelter, right? And that might mean for a teenager, you just have to have a job. You could be washing dishes at a restaurant or serving uh, busing tables at a restaurant. That's certainly not many people's idea of a vocation. So what, what makes a vocation? Ordinarily, it includes things like a, a personal desire 
That is to say, I want to do this. I'm, I'm interested in this. And then um, somebody saying, we see that also. We see that you, you, you want to be a trombonist and you know, you're, it's not an easy instrument and you're really picking it up fast. Way to go. Maybe you should, maybe you are a musician. Uh, and then of course, that's, a, that's what everybody says, you know, internal call, external call. But we also have to say things like God sends gifts to us. God gives us opportunities to develop those gifts. God gives us mentors who help us hone those gifts. So we don't want to forget God in that process. So when we have a desire, when we have people confirming that you have some ability, when there's some fruitfulness, when you do your work with a smile, it's not, you know, you can do work well and be very anxious and actually hate the work, right? So you're doing it with a sense of pleasure and satisfaction, delighting in your, in your toil, those are all the kinds of things that lead us to think I have a calling. Now, uh, some callings, some like youth work, which is, you know, late at night and, it, you know, there, there's a toll it takes on most people, not everybody, but on most people. And they begin to say, well, I've got a lot of skills here and I want to maybe apply them with adults and my children are getting older maybe, and I want to have a more sensible schedule so I can be a good dad or good mom. And so the principle that I would apply, I'll stop with this because I know I've been talking a little bit long here, is what I call stay unless because, and that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which basically says, um, were, you, were you a Jew when you were called, circumcised, uncircumcised? Were you a slave when called? Amazingly, Paul says, don't let it bother you. Uh, that's how God called you. But he also says, if you can gain your freedom, do so. So stay unless you can move to something that's more clearly God's will for you. And then he offers typically because a reason. In this case, if you're a slave, you gain your freedom because you're more, you have more capacity to serve God when you're not beholden to an earthly master. But that stay unless because uh, principles kind of woven here and there throughout scripture. You don't just leave. You leave when God gives you a pretty strong reason to leave. Hmm. And, and there's got to be a biblical rationale for leaving other than I'm sick and tired of this. I hate my boss. That's not an adequate. I mean, it could be if you have a truly monstrous boss, it could be, but you know, I simply hate my boss right now is not a good enough reason to change vocations. Mm -hmm. so, so along the lines of calling, I, I, I've heard this said by honestly, uh, most often NBA players, but they're saying, you know, I'm working on my craft. You ever heard uh -huh. people say right. that? And I think LeBron yeah. James says that a lot other guys do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think for, for for youth workers, but also you know students as they're growing up, they're they're wondering what is my craft. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody is promoting whatever their craft is on social media as well, and I think there's a lot of anxiety about like what what is my craft if I don't have a, a craft or something like this? Am I just a waste of space here? And am I you know what am I do with my life if I don't have something like that? And, and how does somebody move into discovering what that could be or 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 does that even necessary do you have to have a have a main thing that's your that's your thing to, right. to live life well well it is good to do things like drive a truck that delivers food not many people would call that a craft although it certainly actually does take skill to drive a truck in many circumstances um i mean you know people work on assembly lines producing good product that people need and that's good work most people wouldn't call that a calling or a craft, although you know, we all know that some people drive trucks and are better on assembly lines than other people. And so you could call it a craft. Uh, I love to refer people to a book called Range by a man named David Epstein. 
who says, we still live in a world of generalists. And if you're not sure what to do with your life, just keep trying things, not wildly different things, but things that have some continuity with each other. So uh, maybe you want to be a, a singer. Let's say you want to be a headlining singer. You may very well end up being a sound engineer because your voice is good, but it's not that good. It's not good enough to be the, at the apex of the position. You may end up filling in. You may play a little bit, but your actual your actual gift is in getting rid of stray noise. And you're better at that than anybody else. And believe me, that's needed to make really high quality recordings, right? And, and to fix the sound. So uh, try stuff, try stuff in your field and, and contiguous to your field. So, you know, you're, you're a biologist, maybe you can go into biochemistry, your chemist, maybe you can go into physical chemistry and, or engineering chemistry chemical engineer. And that's the way a lot of people find their way to their best use of their highest gifts. So you, a lot of people start off with youth because they're really good communicators, but they realize, oh, I don't just communicate with my age group. Let's say they're 23 and they start communicating with 27 year olds, but eventually they realize, you know what, I can actually communicate with children and I can communicate with people who are 40 and 50 and 70 not just 17 year olds or 13 year olds. And so by doing different stuff, they find out slowly what God has gifted and called them to do. Hmm. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, Greg, go ahead. So uh, I've had this experience. I'm, I'm curious if you have as well. Um, I, I have seen how some work that I did that was unrelated when I was younger. I, I was an engineer before going to mm -hmm. seminary has you know, there's been good fruit that's come out of that as I've done something different, even even pretty, pretty different, pretty wildly different. But um, have you experienced that in some of the, you know, former jobs you have? I know on your, um, your bio, on your book, <laughs> it, it has a lot of different things you've done um, yeah. leading up to your time, at, you know, as a professor and a pastor. But yeah. um, where, where have you seen that bear out in your life? Uh, you know, honestly, I think um, it hasn't been as, as direct a line as, you know, like I wash dishes, <laughs> for a while and unloaded trucks. I'm not sure how much unloading trucks has to do with being a pastor. I've never seen a really tight connection between the two. <laughs> Maybe it's there for me to discover just in a month or two now that you pose this question. But, you know, if you have your eyes open, everything illuminates everything else, right? And, you know, if you wash dishes or unload trucks um, for a while, you just learn how to get along with people. You learn how to listen to people, you learn empathy. Uh, for people that are in jobs that maybe you did for six months and it's not your, it's not your life's work. So I don't have a good answer to it. Maybe John, maybe John has a good answer <laughs> to your question, Greg. No, I don't. I don't. If, if Dan doesn't, then I don't have anything for you, Greg. Sorry. <laughs> I will say, I mean, we're talking about various occupations and I had a friend text me a question to, to ask you, Dan. I mean, he said, you know, kind of in our reform tradition, as we think about mm -hmm. all of occupations at all, all vocations can, can honor the Lord. We know that there's, mm -hmm. there's worth. And well, all I mean, honest, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. All honest vocations. Yes. I was just right. about to backtrack. Yes. Yeah, um, right. And and he said, sometimes, you know, he, he senses that as we emphasize the importance of that, which we can, we can, it can actually keep us from encouraging, you know, our own students from, from being, um, 
ministers for pursuing mm-hmm. some sort of ministry. And so maybe just react to that a little bit and, and how to balance that as we're, you know, affirming the value of all vocations, also trying to encourage someone to say, hey, look, ministry might be what the Lord's calling you to. Yeah, there's no question that, that you know, we're constantly overreacting. So we say, oh, well, you know, being a banker or being a construction worker is, is ungodly. So we're going to react to that by saying, listen, go become a welder, go run a barge company. That's the best thing you can do. So uh, because you're glorifying God in your in your hands and in all labor of your hands, which is true, but there are people who are called to pastoral ministry, and we should encourage, not discourage. One of the things people say that discourages, another saying that I think is preposterous, is that if, uh, if you can do anything to be a pastor, by all means, do that other thing. It's just ridiculous. Pastors <laughs> should be able to do all kinds of things. And every pastor I've ever known as a good pastor probably could have done any number of things well. <laughs> so you, you'll have no pastors at all if, if, if you only let people go into pastoral ministry who can't do anything else. Uh, what they mean is valid is you need to be called because the work of a pastor is challenging. And you know, you'll give up if you're not truly called to it. That's certainly correct. But we should say that a better way. Um, the other thing I suppose I need to say, and people misunderstand this, this is probably the thing I say that people resist the most, is that we should ask the question, do I have an unusual gift set? And if I do, if it's rare and strategic, I should probably use it. So I have a friend who's a surgeon who shows up in my book, and, and also I interviewed him for my podcast. And you know, he said, with straight face, no boasting, he said, I can probably clean a surgical center better than anybody I know, because I know what needs to be cleaned, how clean it needs to be. Hmm. But he should not be cleaning surgical centers, because he's a surgeon, and he's a very high-end surgeon with extremely rare gifts. And so he should be practicing that all day long. Now, he might want to write up protocols for cleaning surgical centers better or the right way. So if you have a rare gift and a strategic gift, you can save people's lives. Or if, you're, if you could sell insurance, I think probably most pastors could sell insurance. If you could sell insurance or present the gospel and discipleship convincingly, then you should probably present the gospel and discipleship convincingly. Because there's a whole bunch of people that can sell insurance. I'm not putting insurance down at all. I'm saying if it's, but it's more unusual to be capable to be a, a really effective pastor than it is to be capable of being a very effective salesperson. So um, without diminishing the value of sales, we do want to exalt those callings that do seem unusual, like God calling prophets and apostles. For example, it's not an everyday occurrence. And when God calls you to something striking, you should say yes. Mm-hmm. That's very, yeah, that's very helpful. Um, and again, I, I, we're getting close to time. There's so much more to ask, but I want to shift to ask you because a lot of people that tune into this podcast are, are parents. And I'd love for you to speak to parents a minute on dealing with their own children. Um, while, you know, while again, they're, they're in the home, they, they haven't left yet to start their, you know, occupation, their calling, whatever that is, but we know they're called to be students. And maybe just some of those conversations that they're trying to have with their children uh, to instill a, a good work ethic, whether it's, you know, challenging them, pushing back on the unmotivated teenager, all, all of those things, just some words to, to parents uh, as we start to close out. Yeah, so I think probably a work ethic is caught more than taught. So mom and dad 
working hard without excess is probably the best way to teach your children to work hard without excess. And then of course, working alongside your child is an excellent way to teach your child how to work. So help me rake the leaves. We're going to rake the leaves together. We're going to um, wash the car together. We're going to wash dishes together, whatever it is that's appropriate for a five-year-old or an eight-year-old. Um, and you work beside them lovingly and kindly on the one hand when they're younger. And then later on, you want to give them a variety of things to do if possible. And um, besides chores, give them opportunities to tackle things. And then, of course, you have to ask the question, to what extent do you want to schedule your child and to what extent not? I think the answer is, you know, parents probably need to be flexible and realize their children may not, have, may not get their work done the same way they do. And, uh, you know, you may say it works best for me when I'm getting my job done by 7 p.m. And the child may say, I actually work better when my schedule is quite different from that. Like, you know, we could just hypothesize that there might be a teenager who loves to get all of her schoolwork done between 5 a.m. and 7.45 a.m. It could happen. And then they're free at night. And you should let that go if that's if that's their approach. Don't be a legalist, I would say, if, if the child's getting work done. But some children do need a schedule and rewards. And if your child needs a schedule rewards for getting jobs done, then, then do that. Basic word is flexible. Don't make your good idea or your practice into a norm or a law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's helpful. Again, there's so much more to talk about. I know we're just scratching the surface over this last three weeks with you. Um, remind our listeners where they can uh, check out your podcast and then some of your other writings on this subject. I wrote two books. One is uh, Working Its Purpose, Transformation, and Something or Other Else. It's an orange book, 250 pages. You can find it you know, on all the regular outlets. The other is called Work That Makes a Difference. It's a much smaller uh, book for Bible studies and churches for study groups. It's accessible to teenagers. Uh, I would say a good, a good, thoughtful teenager could certainly read that book. I have a podcast called Working. I feel embarrassed. It's called Working with Dan Doriani. And the reason is because I'm the only Dan Doriani in the world because I have an immigrant <laughs> name. There's, if you meet anybody named Doriani, they are a relative of mine. So uh, I decided, we decided, I didn't decide, but we decided to make use of the unusual character of my name. So with apologies, it's working with Dan. <laughs> it's a great name. Yeah. Um, now, Dan, look, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your words. Greg, thank you as well for jumping on and uh, being a part of this. Good to be with you, John and Greg. All right, everyone, that was Dan Doriani. I want to thank him again for uh, being on the podcast and um, just want to point people to his podcast as well as his books. Uh, he's done a lot of great work on the idea of work. Um, uh, right now, I'm here with Kurt Cooper. Kurt, how's it going? Hey, John. We're in person. Yes, once again. We were in Colorado not too long ago. Yes, and then, two weeks ago. Yeah, that seems a lot longer than that. But um, yeah, now we're here in Florida for the last day of our middle school conference. Um, Kurt and I were sitting here a little bit beforehand and uh, trying to think of exactly what we're going to talk about here. I know... We've kind of been pitching this summer that we're going to be talking about youth ministry FAQs and other questions maybe um, related to youth ministry, uh, but this one might be a, a little bit different. Uh, I know uh, we had Lynn talk about her elective in Colorado, and, and Kurt, I've heard a lot of good things about your elective, and I know you're covering a lot of ground in your elective, so maybe 
Um, we'll talk a little bit about your elective and then maybe some cultural stuff going on um, at the time of this recording. So, Kurt, why don't you just, what is the blurb for your elective? I guess maybe let's let's start there. Okay. It well, doesn't have to be verbatim. I know okay. you're looking for that. Yeah, book. I'm looking at the book right now. <laughs> but the idea behind my elective, it's called Built Different because that's a phrase that people use online. And I just try to find some kind of phrase like that that people will recognize. I'm tricking students into coming. I'm to my just elective. already gonna interrupt you and just say I'm ignorant. I'm I'm old. Well, I haven't heard built different. People will say that someone's built different if they're like an amazing athlete. They'll say okay. he's. Well, you I've know, heard that in that or, context. Yeah, yeah. So you know, but then there's that funny video of this guy. It's like an African American teenager, and he's got an egg between the bicep and his forearm, and he like says, "I'm built different," and he flexes and cracks the egg, and then there's like some skinny like middle school white girl who like has she has no definition in her arm and she puts the egg between her bicep and she cracks it and she's like yeah you know it's kind of funny like are you you know yes you're strong but i don't think that's how you show it uh so that's where i saw it first actually and i thought that was funny so uh but uh the idea behind my elective is why is it okay for for you to talk bad about your own hometown but when as soon as someone else talks about your hometown you get angry. Why is it that you can pick on your younger sibling, but if someone else picks on your younger sibling, like what is it about other people uh, that, uh, and when they do the same things that we do, we don't extend them the same grace that we extend ourselves. And so I start out and I, on the first day we talk about uh, Rodney King and the Rodney King riots, which most of the middle schoolers obviously weren't alive for. And we talk about Rodney King famously at the end of the riots. There's many dynamics to that, right? But uh, And when I try to go through them as faithfully as I can in a short period of time. And I say, at the end of it, Rodney King said, why can't we all just get along, right? And uh, so the point of the first day is the Bible has an answer to why we all just can't get along. And it's that we're sinners and we are alienated from God. We're alienated from ourselves we're alienated from creation and we're alienated from each other so the bible you know the bible has an answer to rodney king's question also point out to them that this all happened when i was 11 or 12 and that something somewhat similar happened a couple years ago uh and that you know if we don't learn from our history we're doomed to repeat it so you know with all the things that happened in 2020 you know i feel like what happened in 91 and 92 is a little prescient for uh, uh for our time so and then the second day, we, uh, we look at the Tower of Babel and we say, all right, what are some things that we try to unite around besides God? Um, you know, they try to <laughs> unite around bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar like that's and that that's their technology. And they think that that's going to be the thing that brings them together. And I list a bunch of different things that people try to unite around from sports to music to common enemies to covid and which is a real grenade to throw in there and just show how none of those things are strong enough to be the sun of our solar system that the soul everything you take away the sun and the solar system falls apart but that the sun is what holds it together the gravity of the sun is what holds all of that all our whole solar system together and what holds everything together for us is god christ and that in christ we can be reconciled right Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians five seventeen through nineteen, I think, is uh, where Paul kind of goes on a reconciliation spree, where he uses it many times in several sentences, and he talks about how in Christ there is reconciliation, and Christ is the only thing 
that can unite us and that ultimately we we cannot unite to people who don't share that you know reconciliation that we might be able to play nice with them for a time but ultimately that is a fundamental divide uh, that can't be bridged outside of Christ that you, you know you're either living as if this world is the only world there is or you're living for the new heavens and the new earth um, now the that's the bad side of it right um, and I, so I try to show them the futility of trying to unite around anything besides God but I also remind them the students that anyone from any tribe or tongue or nation or time or region of the country or ethnicity or skin color or you know, language or whatever it is, or age or gender, that anyone can be reconciled in Christ. So while we can't ultimately be reconciled with the world, Jesus says the world hates him. We're not better than him, so it will hate us as well. And we can't unite with it, you know, in that in that way without him. So, but the great side of that is that we can be united to anyone, regardless of our differences, if it's in Christ, that he is the great uniter. And the third day, well, we, we look at uh, Jonah, at the end of Jonah, and we try to look at, like, what, what does it look like to have your worldview changed by this sacrificial love and this mercy that God shows us, that sacrificial love. We talk about the greatest commandment and um, to love God and then the second grace to love your neighbor as yourself, and we talk about Jesus' new commandment, right, to love is, uh, you know, to lay down your life for your friends. With this sacrificial love, when you really try to extend it, what does it look like and how does it do work on your own soul? And so we look at Jonah's frustration at the saving of Nineveh. And I kind of get in people's kitchens a little bit and rearrange the utensils because I say, you know, if you read Jonah's anger, Jonah's so angry about his success as being the most successful prophet in the history of the, the world. You know, he just preaches, just barely preaches, you know, and this wicked city from the highest to the lowest, they all repent. And he, instead of like signing a book deal, he gets upset, right? He's mad. And he doesn't, by the way, he doesn't even mention the fish. Um, mm-hmm. It's phenomenal, but he, he doesn't even mention the fish to him. But he, uh, which is the one thing everyone knows about Jonah, but he gets angry. And what I tell our students is like, there's several reasons why he could be angry. One is he could have his red hat on and be like, make Israel great again. And these people aren't Israel, right? And he's a hyper-nationalist and maybe a racist too. And he doesn't like these people because they're not Israel. And he's only concerned about his people. But maybe he's a critical theorist, right? Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's that he's looking at people, these Ninevites, and being like, these people are oppressors. How dare they receive mercy? They can't receive mercy. They haven't paid for their sins, right? So... You know, whether you're on the right or the left of the spectrum, I think Jonah has something to say to you about anger. And also, he he may just be embarrassed because he barely preached to them and they repented. And then think about all the prophets that God sent to Israel. So it's about how God's love and his sacrificial love for us is going to turn our world upside down. And that in order to be, to love people who are different from us, what we have to do is we have to love them as we love ourselves. And how we love ourselves is we extend ourselves mercy. We make excuses for ourselves. When you speak harshly to your wife, you you naturally say, well, it's because you had a headache. You know, if you're short with your kids, it's because someone cut you off in traffic or because you're really stressed from work. Mm-hmm. We give ourselves, we extend to ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We extend to ourselves mercy and grace and put all of our sin in context of that. Whereas 
when we look at other people outside of Christ, what we do is we say, oh, that person did this or said this and it was wrong. Well, that is their identity and that's who they are. They're canceled. They're mm-hmm. done. And we don't, we do the exact opposite of what Jesus says to love our neighbor as ourselves. doesn't mean that we affirm everything they did. It doesn't mean that we um, have to approve of everything. We don't even have to feel fondly for them because we don't always feel fondly for ourselves. This is all from mere Christianity and C.S. Lewis. But uh, instead, all we have to do to love our neighbor as ourselves is extend the same mercy and benefit of the doubt that we, that we receive in Christ and that we give ourselves so naturally to extend that to other people. So, mm. And that's the key to loving people who are different than you is, uh, you know, culturally, language barrier, any of those things, is receiving the love you've received from Christ and then extending that love outward. So it's not really that difficult. It's not like a high and lofty idea. It's, it's really about the, great, the two greatest commandments. So you've got to be loved by God and reconciled in Christ. And then if you are loved by God and reconciled in Christ, the natural outworking of that is that you love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. Right? Let, let me say this real quick, kind of side note related. This elective is going to, it, it was recorded and it will be online. So mm-hmm. anyone listening to this and I mean, part of me is like, you see, if anyone heard a little snippet and they want to push back or whatever, it's like, that was three days yeah. worth of material condensed in, you know, eight yeah. minutes. And so just encouraging people to check out our conference audio, that'll be on our website. And then also, I know, posted through um, our conference audio kind of podcast. So that, that might be a few months away, but just kind of letting people know to, to be looking out for that. Um, <laughs> if people so, want to push back, talk to John. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah, that's right. Um, I guess, I mean, I could share your phone number right now, but um, uh, just curious. I mean, you said, you know, you, you get in, I think you said, you get in people's kitchen and rearrange their utensils. Yeah. Um, and you went after, uh, yeah, the right and the left. Are you nervous about doing that? No. Like, okay, not even a little bit. No. Um, have get, you get excited about it? <laughs> that's shocking. Have you um have you gotten any pushback from high school Colorado? You did this elective, mm-hmm. and then here, any hands going up in there, kind of raising questions? No. People coming up talking to you afterwards. I think if you're an equal opportunity offender, then people won't. You know, if I were to just have hammered on the red hats and said like, look, nationalism is the core of our problem. That's why we can't love each other. Then I think a lot of people would have been like, Hey, hold on one second, you know, but the truth of the matter is, is I think there's a little bit of both in Jonah, especially if you look at Jonah is that there's a little bit of both. And, you know, you, you look at, you know, critical theory and things like that. And you see, you see that in Jonah, you see him. I mean, Let's be honest for a second. I say this in the elective, but it's not like Nineveh and Israel were like football rivals who like play the game every year for some trophy. Like they killed each other. There were people sexually assaulted and raped. There's real oppression that happened. And maybe I don't know the whole like military history, but probably a little bit on both sides if I had to guess. And so there's real grievances and God extends mercy to these people. And he doesn't say, don't worry, Jonah, later on, they're going to have to pay for it. He doesn't say it. So, you know, and he also doesn't, you know, he doesn't say, don't worry, Jonah, you know, your nation is the only, it it cuts against those kind of political ideologies. It cuts both ways. So I don't feel any nervousness in saying it because I'm pretty confident that, you know, everybody's worldview is going to get corrected in heaven, including my own. <laughs> so if someone is upset and they're like, Hey, I don't like that. I was like, good, good. Mm-hmm. Cause who told you you were supposed to be comfortable and have all your ideas affirmed? Not Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus 
told the lady he was caught in adultery. Uh, I don't condemn you. He also said, go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, he told the lady at the, the Samaritan at the well in John 4, hey, you're right to say you don't have a husband. You got like five. <laughs> or you've had like five. He just names it, right? And then she, but she doesn't come away from that and be like, he offended me by calling out my sin. It says she goes away into the village and tells them, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. (laughs) So there is an element where I feel no like fear in that. Like, because if you, if we preach or teach the gospel and we're afraid to offend certain sensibilities, then that's the real God that we can't, you know, if we can't offend it, if we can't speak to it. And, you know, there will pro- I'm sure there are people on the left will be like, well, that's not a fair characterization of this. Or people on the right who will say, that's not a fair characterization, characterization of this. Okay, I'm fine with that. Like, I'm, you know, I've got 45 minutes to teach 11, 12, and 13-year-olds about <laughs> this. So I'm not going to be able to get into the nuances of, sure. like, the sources of nationalism or the sources of Marxism or, you know, whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. But what I want to do is get them thinking that, the main thing that unites them to each other is Christ and not any of these political ideologies, you know, but if you really believe that you're reconciled in Christ, it should affect the way that you think about the world, about government, about all those things. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be some pruning, right? Jesus says, I'm the vine. I prune the branches like, and pruning is done not to kill a plant, but to make it grow further. But it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's not painful. So, I yeah. hope that makes sense what I'm saying. No, I, I think it does. And, and honestly, I mean, the, the lack of charity that Christians are showing each other as of late, mm-hmm. it seems like it's created some, maybe callousness is too strong of a term, but some yeah. some needed callousness of, look, I cannot nuance every single statement I'm making in a way that everyone is going to accept it. So here's truth from God's word. Yeah. Let it work. And just yeah Th- um, think about like how there. comedy works now yeah. and how like everyone all com- comedians say that comedy is dying because you're not allowed to offend anyone right but the gospel is naturally offensive jesus says woe to you who when people when everyone speaks well of you yeah. right so that's not like carte blanche to go out and be a big jerk to everybody it's not but it's also, I feel like it is carte blanche to be like, we, we can, like, just for a second, we can put what you think about the world under the microscope or what I think about the world under the microscope and see how it doesn't totally conform to what Jesus is doing. Uh, that there is, there are some, some gaps in there, even the best, right? And, uh, you know, I don't, I, I can't imagine not talking about things like this at rym yeah um i i I agree yeah i mean we we, yeah sometimes we're too fearful to talk about subjects that the church absolutely must be the place um where where these subjects are are discussed um kurt i know we don't have a a ton of time and i want to be sensitive to this and i mean again to our listeners some of these have have been a little bit shorter um, because (laughs) everyone who's coming on the show has students here and has other things going on. Oh, I've got um, interns that we interviewed. They, I'm sure they've got <laughs> it under control. That's true. Um, so, Kurt, uh, as you know, Middle School Florida, we have a day out um, where we get some some free time. 
and I was talking to a couple of youth workers um, yesterday and today, and some of them were going to see movies. And Mm -hmm. um, one of them, specifically from his church context, he has a committee that approves the movies that his students can, can watch. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Top Gun Maverick was approved. Um, and down here at Panama City Beach, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom uh, was re-released in the theaters. Um, that that was approved. Uh, Lightyear was not approved huh. um, for, for, <laughs> for people to see. So, you know, ripping hearts out of a chest in Temple of Doom, that... That was approved. That was okay. Yeah, but it's not yeah. okay. So, no, no, I'm just I'm setting it up. That's yeah. that was the yeah, kind you're of teeing discussion. me up, and I'm yeah. ready to swing. I know. Go ahead. So, so, I hey, mean, balls on the tee. Go for it. Yeah, I'm just saying that this this is what happens. Is uh, okay. And should we give background? Okay, those who are listening and don't yeah. know Lightyear, uh-huh. um, I have not seen it yet. Kurt, have you seen it? No, I haven't. Okay, so um, there's a lesbian kiss in this children's movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in there originally, and they showed showed it to some test audiences. It did not go well, and so they removed that scene. Mm-hmm. And then when the bill that's known as the gay bill in Florida came out, um, Pixar decided they wanted to put it back in there, kind of as a in-your-face mm-hmm. to Florida. Hey, we're going to mm-hmm. have this kiss scene. So there's been a lot of uh, controversy. That's yeah, they put it back in in the United States, not in China. Yes, good, Let's just yeah, be good very careful. But yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I cannot remember how many countries did ban the movie. Yeah, because we got to show Florida what's up, but the people who have actual slaves, you know what, we'll do what they say. <laughs> so, okay, there, there's a lot of things there. Uh, <laughs> We're throwing some grenades in <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> so let's uh, go ahead and unpack some of that, just some of the thoughts of, yeah. Sure. I mean, I, look. Um. <laughs> okay, let's go back to Temple of Doom for a second, all right? Yeah, because a guy does get his heart ripped out in Temple of Doom. It's still beating or whatever. Isn't yeah, that like the, like burst into flames? Yeah, yeah. But but is that held up as like a good thing <laughs> in the movie? <laughs> is it celebrated? Do we celebrate? Are we celebrating? And are we really like? Yeah, we've got to represent heart rippers. So they need people. The young heart rippers in our in our culture need to know, need to be able to see. Like it's not. So it's not one thing. It's one thing. Yes, there is. Uh, you know, there is that intense scene in the Temple of Doom, but it's not. It, it's not held up as like, you know what? These are the really the good guys, right? Yeah, it's clearly yeah. they're the bad. I think, I don't know. I guess in Temple of Doom, were the Nazis involved at all? I don't think they're, they're not. I don't think they are. They're the Lost Ark, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, before people say, well, you know, it's like vilifying indigenous people. Well, they went after the Germans too. I mean, like, so they, they're, they went after a lot of different people. But, uh, yeah, so I guess, you know, my comment about China is basically all that I really need to say about uh, about Lightyear and about uh, about how they, about how we selectively get offended about things and have to teach certain people lessons. We've got to teach Florida a lesson about this bill because they don't want to teach, like, kindergartners and preschoolers about sexual identity. But when China says take you know take the african-american guy off the poster for star wars we take him off or we put him really tiny just go and look at the difference you can look it up the difference of the star wars poster in china versus america look for finn you'll see um or i did not know that yeah or like uh they edited um the j the uh the the 
Harry Potter extended universe Dumbledore's because Dumbledore's supposed to be uh, homosexual. That's right. They edited that out for China. They uh, and you know why they did that? It's because there are billions of people in China and they want the money, and so China can say what they want. There aren't that as many people in Florida, so they can. So don't think for a second that somehow Disney has like the moral high ground here. They're doing what sells, Mm -hmm. what they think will make money. It's not about. uh, I I think the the Pride Coalition ought to pay attention to that. They don't. I don't think they have the allies Mm -hmm. they think they do. And 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 Kurt, there was even there was part of me as I was kind of wrestling with this just as a father. And I mean, I love the toy story movies. I think yeah. they're, they're, they're great movies. And I was thinking, okay, I, I want to take my children to see this. And, you know, I was thinking, okay, representation. Okay. There are people, uh, there are lesbians mm-hmm. in our culture. My, my children are going to encounter that. So is it okay for my children just to see that on screen? And then I can have conversation with them about that. Mm-hmm. But there was a helpful article that came out and I cannot remember who wrote this and people can go back uh, on Tim Challey's a la carte, he highlights several articles, and the, the author of the article pointed out representation is not the issue because he said, you know, we're the Christians uh, that are needing to be represented in, in our stories. Oh, and, yeah. And, and he said, you know, if you look at percentages of the population, uh, the Christians are a larger percent of the population, and they're not being represented in stories. And so, yeah, that's a gr- that, yeah. John, that is a fabulous point. Mm-hmm. Think about how many people in the world are Christians and think about how, how many times have you seen someone pray mm-hmm. in a movie? Or, I mean, the, the, the representation of Christians in films, I think we could say by and large has not been too good that I'm sorry, as we're recording here in Florida, we have people walking in the background. That's going to happen. Um, These people off, look like kind of dangerous people too. Just be really <laughs> off careful. The, off the top of my head. I can remember the the war movie Fury with uh, Brad Pitt and Shia LaBeouf plays a, a Christian. Mm-hmm. And he was actually, as some people said, one of the realist uh, portrayals of Christians and mm-hmm. kind of a, a positive portrayal. Yes, he he used some some language that um, you know wasn't the best we could yeah. say, and there are some things we could debate. But oh wait, he was a sinner. Yeah, exactly. By grace. No, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> there's going to be people out there listening, thinking, you know, mm-hmm. let's push back on that. But I, I agree with you, Kurt. Um, but like they said, he was an excellent soldier. And he was yeah. a compassionate soldier. And um, mm-hmm. so that, that's a positive portrayal of a Christian that has been recent. And I'm trying to think of, it seemed like there was another one recently. But, um, but yeah, where's the representation for Christians? I think that's that's a, yeah. a valid point to bring up and a, a critique it, of this. Well, it's just selective. It, it, it's, it's selective uh, outrage. It's not real outrage because it's selective outrage. And, you know, it, it's about, it's more about, I mean, you can just look at what they do. You know, I'm not trying to like throw Disney under the bus in any way, but they're a company that's making business decisions, and they're not. But they're but they're dressing them up as if they're moral decisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there's there are plenty of things to be angry about. This is not what aboutism. It becomes what aboutism when you're selectively outraged. Mm-hmm. When you're just in general outraged at every you know injustice, then it's not. You know, then you can you know, say something, but they're not, they're not outraged about all kinds of injustice. They're really selectively outraged about the kind of injustice that they think will help them politically in certain places. And then they are not so mad about it and will even, you know, go the opposite way when it helps them politically in other places. Yeah. And I think it's important to see that. I mean, I don't, I don't know who would deny it. Yeah, no, I agree. And Kurt, I know we need to, to wrap this up and I can't help being at 
Laguna Beach Christian Retreat Center and being here with you and thinking a few years ago, we watched Stranger Things Season 3, and we discussed mm-hmm. that on, on Parenting Today. Um, and, you know, at the time of this recording, uh, Season 4, Volume 1 is out, mm-hmm. and tomorrow, Volume 2 will be released. Mm-hmm. And I know, again, we're, we're wrapping this up, so we don't have a, a ton of time to talk about this. Just curious, are your students talking about Stranger oh. Things? Are your interns talking about it? Yeah. Um, that, yeah running up that it. Hill song, I haven't seen any of the Stranger Things yet, so of the new ones. The season four, so that I haven't seen those yet. My younger son's really trying to get me to watch Obi Wan. He really wants mm-hmm. me to watch the Obi Wan thing. So I'm working on that. I, th- I think I'm like five minutes into the first episode, <laughs> so I'm really, really grinding at it. But I've been a little busy lately. But uh, that running up that hill song, this '80s song they brought back. Uh, you know, I knew that it it was kind of blown up with our students because. At VBS, a lot of my students were like, Kurt, can you play that Running Up That Hill song from the 80s? And I didn't even know what they were talking about. Yeah. But it's kind of turned it into a, a hit. It was number one on iTunes. Wow. Okay, so on the drive up here to, or down here to Florida, mm-hmm. um, my daughter asked if we had heard of the song, and I said, is this a new song? And she said, I don't know. And then she looked, and it was like 1987. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so, yeah, obviously this is an older song Stranger Things had in there to feature and, and brought it back. Um, isn't that interesting that it's number one? On it was, yeah. It was number one on iTunes and number one. People were all listening to it over okay. and over again. You, what, what are some of the, like, the comments I've heard? So at the time of the recording, yeah, I've watched uh, episode one and two, and I started to watch three, and I had to go to sleep. I was just mm-hmm. too tired. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, I mean, people were talking about it's definitely just straight horror, and it's it's gorier than the others and i would say demonic is what i heard yes yeah yeah so i'm kind of I'm, I'm it's too early to know okay what what exactly is happening here and some of there's some mystery to it and so but but i will say even i don't want to see again i haven't seen it so i'm not trying to push people toward it or push people away from it but i would say if there are demonic elements in there that's not necessarily a bad thing because mm-hmm. you know you know what i you know what's cool when a movie recognizes that there's a spiritual reality beyond yeah. like the material world, which is something that we believe. And that mm-hmm. doesn't happen a lot except in horror movies. Yeah. Now, I think, yeah, you and I might have had some of that conversation mm-hmm. before because if I'm not mistaken, The Conjuring, which I've not seen because I'm too terrified, <laughs> um, I think the writers of that are Christians. And they, I mean, they similar are. to what you just said, they, they wanted so. to, to I think that's portray, right. I mean, yeah, that there's a spiritual realm to this world, and so I think a guy who there's a movie called The Exorcism of Emily Rose, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen either because I'm a coward, and <laughs> uh, and I think the guy who I want to say the guy who did that's a believer as well. Mm-hmm. So it seems like that's right. So yeah, some of this is like you said, we need to be cautious of just condemning something, and you know we need to be cautious of just getting entertainment from something that's very real and something that you, you shouldn't mock mm-hmm. at the same time there could be some portrayals that we could get behind as, as believers. So, yeah, I know it's something um, maybe we could talk about this a little bit later when you see it. Are you planning to see Stranger Things? Yeah, I'm going to work my way around to it, but I've been uh, – life has picked up pace in the mm-hmm. last couple months for me, mm-hmm. and my watch time – and i got to be honest, does this mean I'm old, John? But, Probably. Yeah. But sometimes when I'm getting ready to watch something – you know, you'll pull up Netflix and I'll see like an old movie that I've seen a bunch of times, but instead of like trying to invest the mental energy to get into like something new or a new season of something, I was like, you know, I could watch 
you know, I could watch Mission Impossible again. <laughs> you know, that first one, that scene with the aquarium and restaurant, uh, yeah. and he blows yeah. it up, and yeah. you know, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, like, and I, I could probably fall asleep to that pretty fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and I do think it's funny you, you say that because, yeah, I do think there's an age factor to what you just said, but yeah. I do think an aspect of this is you and I are at the age of they they're not they can't really tell any new stories and yeah. we've kind of seen it all i mean i know that's can sound like an arrogant thing but it's just kind of like we, we've seen a lot and some of the I, I don't know some of whatever's coming out is new it's like yeah that's similar to this old movie we've seen before and yeah. it's kind of like we know this is good so let's go to watch something we know is good instead yeah. of watching something that takes a long time and then you're like that was a waste of time yeah yeah, yeah i I I think Breaking Bad spoiled me. <laughs> like I like Breaking Bad was the last new thing that I watched where I was like, wow, that was an experience. Like that was mm-hmm. a real ride. I'm not, you know, telling you to go watch it either. I hate that I have to say that, but I'm just telling you that I that had I watched that in real time on television where like we were waiting for the episode and I had students and parents in our church who were really into it too. And that's the last time that I really that's the last time that I really got um, fully invested in a show and I've never really gotten invested since I just, mm-hmm. so I might've missed out on some good stuff. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I know we, we need to wrap this up and just as you're saying all that, and we're talking about some of these movies and giving disclaimers, it does make me think about having Brett McCracken on this podcast just several weeks ago. I want to point people back to that and discuss movies with him, but he does have an article on, I think it's entitled, should I watch this or something along those lines at the gospel coalition. So it just gets into some of the Christian Liberty and some of the tension there and some of the cautions. So I'm sure you and I would both endorse that article and, um, because yeah, it gets into some gray area, but, uh, Kurt, I know you need to go. Kurt, thanks for your time having this discussion. Enjoy it always. Thanks man. It's fun to be on. Outcast and the slave.